or Rumi says, your task is not to seek love. Your, ta your task is to seek and find all that you've built within yourself against it. And my humble revision would be, your task is not to seek for love, money, success, fame, you know, if you fill in the blank. Your task is to seek and remove as much of it, uh, what you built against it, as you can. You're listening to Burke Franklin, creator and CEO of Business Power Tools. Not only has Burke discovered how to help business owners plan ahead, he helps them do it in a way that corresponds with their own values and creates strong value propositions for partners, investors, and clients alike. And you're about to hear how you can do it too, because Burke is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Burke Franklin, the creator and CEO of Business Power Tools. And not only has Burke's company made business plan development, agreement writing, publicity creation, and a whole bunch of other stuff turnkey easy for like 30 years, he's also a strong proponent of building a conscious business. And we're going to talk about both of those today, but right now, Burke, welcome to the show. Steve, thank you so much. My pleasure being here. I've known about business power tools for many years before we ever spoke, but what was your actual first product and what led you down the path to develop that in the first place? Well, the first product is called Biz Plan Builder for writing business plans. And it wasn't something that I just dreamed. Well, it was something actually I dreamed up one day, but it took a lot to get there. You know, it wasn't just, hey, I think people need business plans. I'm going to make software to do it. I started out you know, back, you know, in, well, in college, I majored in electrical engineering, and then I graduated with a degree in business at UC Santa Barbara. And I found that really, I'm, I'm kind of a polymath. I'm not really a specialist in any one thing. And it turns out, you know, I'm pretty good at a number of things, and I've mastered a few. But I really love cross-pollinating ideas from, you know, one thing to another. And so, for example, I worked at Texas Instruments when I got out of school. I was driving around Orange County, selling electronic components and in all kinds of things. You see a black box with electronics saying, ooh, what's in that? Can I sell you the components? And I, one of my favorite accounts was Music Man, where they bought a bunch of parts for me and was interested in electronic music and electric guitars and amps and all that kind of stuff. But I also uh, then got a, later on that I got a job at the Sharper Image Catalog as a, as a buyer of the electronics stuff for the catalog. So that was a, a fun job. The Sharper Image were sending out 6 million catalogs a month. And it was a lot of that. Now I got introduced to direct marketing. At Texas Instruments, I had been driving around basically doing door-to-door -door sales with companies. And then with Texas, with the, the Sharper Image, we were doing catalog sales, direct marketing and sending out brochures and things. And after that, I went into Silicon Valley and I took what I learned from Texas Instruments and the Sharper Image and combined that together. And I was making data sheets for engineers that had 800 numbers and credit cards on them where the engineers could simply your customers could call a company up and order a sample with a credit card. You didn't have to go through purchasing. It made it very easy for engineers to design your product or your electronic product into their, into their black box that they were building. At the same time, I, was, I had taken these, these personal development, you know, the awareness and consciousness workshops that, that came out in the, in the early 80s or mid 80s, early 80s. There was, you know, there was, uh, there was Est, there was LifeSpring, there was uh, Scientology, there was Silva Mind Control. I did the summit workshops, but it was really more or less 
based on kind of like acting workshops, really, where you got in touch with your inner feelings, you got in touch with your motivations, you know, why is it that I do things? And my, my favorite story to tell is my grandmother would tell me at, at dinner, save the best until last. And saving the best until last meant, you know, eat your vegetables first, then the meat, and then dessert. Now, she didn't say that just applies to dinner. And so I, I used that, that had that feeling and that thought in my mind a long time. So you can imagine how that might have played out at the high school dance. You know, oh, there's the girl I want to dance with. I'll save her till last. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> you know, and then there I am at Texas Instruments. Here's my list of customers. You know, I had them prioritized. I'm going to save the best ones till last. I didn't know, and, and, and I, when I heard the words, I could even hear it in my grandmother's voice. It's that kind of, so that was really my early, one of my early introductions to awareness and consciousness, because it gets to the bottom of our thinking and our motivation of why we do certain things. Like, you know, the reason we speak English is because we grew up speaking English. If I grew up in Mexico, I grew up speaking Spanish, because that was my environment. What else comes with, your, with one's environment that you take into adulthood? And it takes quite a bit of, I think, effort and insight to, to you really look inside yourself and realize, oh, my God, you know, I'm doing all these things because my dad did it, my mom did it, my grandparents did it. And you're just perpetuating this, these unconscious behaviors. And one of my favorite quotes is by Rumi. Rumi says, your task is not to seek love. Your, ta- your task is to seek and find all that you've built within yourself against it. And my humble revision would be, your task is not to seek for love, money, success, fame, you know, if you fill in the blank. Your task is to seek and remove as much of it, uh, what you built against it as you can. And I say it that way because you could say to remove all of it, but those perfectionists amongst us would still use, well, I haven't removed all of my issues, so I can't be, move forward to be successful. Well, get enough of it out of your way. You, you can be successful, but at least remove the blocking things you have in you. What's the point of pursuing something or someone and finding out when you, when you catch up with them that you're, just, you're, you're, you're blocking them anyway? So at least get that out of the way. And you never know. One of the things I wrote in my book, Business Black Belt, we, we, we create these goals and then we immediately set about how to get the thing. We, we, have, we put our plan in motion, but then we don't really recognize sometimes what we're looking for comes right at us because we've been blocking it no matter what we do. Anyway, so it, it untangles all of that kind of thinking. Anyway, along the way, uh, I, I, you know, I had a friend, he had a, he had a deal going with Apple. This gets to the business plan. So he had a deal. I, 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 I was working in Silicon Valley in marketing, making these data sheets and catalogs for electronic companies. And a friend of mine had a deal going with Apple, and he had a software product that Apple wanted to buy and use in their engineering to you know, develop their chips and their, and their computers and stuff. But at the time, this was early 80s, where, or middle 80s, where there's as many software companies coming to life as they were going out of business. And so Apple wanted to be sure this guy was going to stay in business because, you know, if you're going to buy software from someone, you need to know that they're going to be around to fix bugs and update it and make new versions and support you and all that kind of stuff. Apple wanted to see his business plan. And he didn't have one. And he called me up and said, hey, maybe you can help me with the business plan. And I thought, well, I wonder what that is. To me, at the time, the business plan was really, in this case, more or less a glorified brochure that explained to investors who you are, why you, why now, you know, well, you know, why your product, why now and why from you, and all of that to really convince investors to give you money. In this case, Apple wanted to see his business. They, weren't gonna, they were just simply going to buy his product. 
But, you know, and, and we, we wrote a business plan for him. And one thing I knew along the way, because I'd also worked in Silicon Valley selling word processors, and that's not too exciting. But the lesson from that is it's the same product, but you sell a word processor to the end user, the, the person in the work, the company who's going to actually type on it. They've got to love it. Then you see, sell, you sell them certain aspects of it. Who they work for, like the office manager, sees another aspect. If you sell them the aspect of, well, your people love this, your job's going to be easier. It's, you're going to be much more productive. Your boss is going to love you more. You'll make more money, yada, yada. You go to the CFO, the chief financial officer, and you show them, look, this extra productivity out of your systems is going to give your people an extra hour a day. At the price that you're at the cost of your paying these people, that extra hour a day of productivity, I do the math, I don't do math in public, but I will tell you this you, you convince the chief financial officer that the added productivity is well worth the lease payment for the machine. So they see the business benefit of purchasing or leasing your equipment. If and when you get in front of the chief executive officer, you convince the CEO that, hey, you're going to sell more product. Your people are going to be happier. You're going to save money, all that big picture stuff. See, what I'm driving at is there's different people in the organization that will look at your product from a different perspectives with their own interests in mind. So when you write a business plan and Apple is going to look at the, my friend's business plan, the marketing people are going to look at the marketing section. The financial people are going to scrutinize the, finan the, the financial bits. The engineers already bought into the, the technology. Yet you've got different people looking at different aspects of that business plan. You don't know, you know, we didn't know who was going to look at, you know, what. I just knew we needed to cover all those bases and assume that all these different people are going to look at it. And you can imagine an investor is going to show their technology expert your technology because to make sure that somebody at least gives them a, a green light that this makes some sense. The financial people are going to look at the financial things. So the, there's a whole bunch of people that look at these things and scrutinize them. So I knew that. Long story short, we got the deal with Apple. They loved what he was doing and, and it went forward. And then what happened was people were contacting me for help with their business plans. And, you know, I saw a lot of really great ideas. The problem was the plans are crappy. And so, oh, this is a great idea, but no one's going to invest in this because you didn't explain this. Or this is a great idea, but you got to show this and do this and explain that and, you know, and tell this story of how why customers are going to buy this thing. And one day I'm standing in the shower and I think, you know, if I see one more lousy business plan, I'm just going to, I'm going to hurt somebody. <laughs> and I thought, why don't I just take all the content I have, redact anything, you know, personal or specific and create this template that people can do this on their own because business plans fundamentally are fairly universal in structure. And so it really, I, I could make this thing and people could understand it. And, and, and I started running classified ads and selling it and it took off. And that's what really uh, where Biz Plan Builder came from. It came out of requests and really seeing a lot of great ideas in the world where if you want to, if you've got an idea for saving the world, I'll say, or just doing something, you know, interesting and you want to build it into a successful company, there's a lot of moving parts. You really need to consider a, a number of things. And if you need to convince people to invest in you, you need to tell a, a fairly elaborate story and certainly be ready to answer a variety of questions from every direction. And they will ask them. They may think your business idea is great on a, on a little two-page summary and a quick pitch, but they're going to wake up tomorrow morning and think, wait a minute, what about this and that and the other thing? And I'm going to call my friend Steve and I'm going to call Sue and I'm going to ask them what they think of this thing. 
And, you know, and somewhere along the way, if, if, if everybody, if, if it passes muster with everyone, you, you go forward. But that's really the idea. We're really trying to help people who have an idea for a business to build that business, to succeed in that business and deliver their product or service to the world. Because God knows we, you know, who knows we, we might all need it. So that's my. So, so you had the idea, obviously, for the first marketing product that you're going to sell is help people make biz plans. But how did it go from the idea to an actual, you know, it was a software product. So are you a programmer? Did you hire somebody to write the, the program or how did that work? Well, it started out simply as a, as a template. It was a, a, just a Word document. Gotcha. Where it had variables in it. You just, you it had, I, I put in that green text where the green text is kind of like me sitting next to you saying, okay, here's what you think. Here's what you should be doing now. You think about this. And then, then the actual text would say something like, at XYZ company, we have X number of employees with Y years experience doing Z. And, you know, you look at that and say, well, you know, at, and the company name would automatically fill in, you know, so at, at Business Power Tools, we have 15 employees with 150 years writing business plans. And so, so the idea is it's easier to edit than it is to write from scratch. So we give you an idea of what to say, where to, where to say it and how to put it. Maybe a couple of different examples of saying that. And people look and think, well, I, I'd say it like this. And well, but you've already got a running head start with the language. So it's not just like, like there's all these free business plans out there. And they'll say, describe your management team here. And then the page is blank. What exactly do you say, you know, about the management team? There's quite a bit of information that investors want to know. And so I've got, a, even on my homepage, I've got an example of this. You could go to businesspowertools.com, scroll down to the, what I say about the free stuff, and you can see what the free one shows you. And it's an actual screen capture. And then I've got a screen capture of, of our management team section. And you can copy that. And you'll see what the, the tremendous difference is in the content. And it just makes it easier for investors to understand what you're doing and why and where it's going and answers all their questions because they don't want to chase you around and go over round and round and round with you. They want to see that you have your act together. And that's, that's important to see that at the get-go. So it really wasn't software. Software came later. When Windows 95 came out, we said, okay, let's automate these templates. Let's do the automatic mail merge type thing where you fill in the, all the company information and as much as we could to automate that. We made it easy to, we now have videos you watch. You could look at the management team section, you click a button. I come on a video and explain to you, okay, here's what, you're, here's what you should be thinking about in the management team section. Here's what investors or you should be looking at. I mean, I'm thinking, A, you can use this thing to raise money and millions of people have. I say millions because 2 million have. Or I also like to advocate that what can you do without money? I have some videos that talk about how to build your business without raising outside capital. The good news is you do all of that stuff. And if and when you do want to raise outside capital, You've got everything in place that would have you be ready to raise money. And that's where I think many people really fall down in the capital raising path is they don't have all the stuff in place. You don't have advisors. You don't have a board. You don't have a plan. You don't have a financial model. You need to have all these things in place and you need them in place whether or not you're raising capital. So it's a win-win all the way around. Gotcha. Of course, you know, this show is solopreneur success. So a lot of these folks listening to this podcast right now are going to say, well, it's just me here. I don't have a board of advisors or company CEO and CFO and, and CMO. What would be the primary benefit of somebody who is coming into this from a 
single guy or single girl operation saying, how can I best use this? What would be the benefit for me? Uh, I can think of some, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Well, one thing would be simply to read. I, I, have to, I advocate just reading through the business plan template when you first get it, just to get an idea of all the moving parts in a business. Now, some people, if you're just selling something online, you don't need a physical warehouse or a fulfillment center or anything like that. So you, don't, you wouldn't check those boxes. So it's all built with check boxes where you can add, add and subtract sections that you want to use. But I would say, you know, in the, in the, the solopreneur really would be, would be pretty straightforward. You could probably get away with the, just the executive summary. But the idea would be to see all the things where you could go with your business. Because my business started out as a solopreneur, but then I added employees. I added more products. We were in, in retail distribution for many years, and that really kind of all went away. But when we were, that, that was a, a big piece of the plan. But I would say for solo, solopreneurs, many solopreneurs are consultants. And they work with other small businesses, especially small businesses that would like to grow into a big company. And that's really where all of our tools come into play. So if you're a solopreneur, I'm looking for people who would use our, our dashboard as consultants where they could go to the, their clients and say, hey, look, look what I can do for you. I can help you with your business plan, your employee manual, and your marketing plan, and financial models, and all this stuff you could do for them. And of course, you can private label it so it looks like it's your dashboard you're working with. And then when you're working with the client, you can put their logo on it. And so now you've got all these people collaborating and helping other businesses succeed. And that's really, I've got my hands full just making the tools. But if we had more people out there who could use these tools in their own practice to help their clients and who are growing businesses, that would be, that's the holy grail I'm looking for. Yeah. And I can, I can think of, you know, right now, there's probably somebody listening to this and they're saying a green light just came on. I need something to do. I want to be a solopreneur, but I'm still stuck in a nine to five. And what could I do? And here's an opportunity to just fell on your lap that if this sounds appealing to you, this kind of working with companies as a consultant and showing how they can grow, this is a set of tools that you can use that might bring you to a whole new career path as a solopreneur and, or maybe build your own team. And that's the nice thing what you said also is just reading the documentation and the plan itself and the template will allow you to kind of think broader about your business than it will be simply being, it's just me, I'm little old me. It's not just little old you because I mean, everybody is one person, but we don't have to work alone whether you're a solopreneur or not. You can build a virtual team. You can build a, an actual in real life team if you want to be an entrepreneur and grow beyond solopreneurship like Burke did. But either way, these, these are things that are going to be useful for you to think through the, the mechanisms that are involved in running a, a larger scale business. And maybe you don't want to grow large scale, but many do. And if you want to be a larger scale, this will get you in the mindset of what do I need to be thinking about in advance so I can align my business with that. And talking about alignment, one of the things that Burke has become known for is, is a proponent of conscious business building. And I know when some people, they hear the word conscious, anything like consciousness, they, they get this immediate idea, woo-woo, it's touchy-feeling, there's, there's non-fact-based ideas. And I know some people are, I'm perfectly fine with woo, this is great, I'm seeking it out, I want to be more of that, but for others, it's a red flag. So I would suggest that perhaps Burke would say, there's a, there's a great happy middle ground here. And so I'm going to ask you directly, Burke, you know, what does it mean in, in practical terms to be conscious or to run a conscious business. Can you like define that for us? And what does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I come from, I'm in California. 
I started this business in Northern California. You can imagine the land of hot tubs and weed. And so everybody's like, oh yeah, we're in my hot tub. We're going to be really conscious. And it's, it's not that. It's, it's really an extrapolation of the save the best until last idea, like becoming aware of your thinking, becoming aware of the effect of your thinking and your actions. And that's huge. And so it's really, so I think of it more of it as a functional consciousness. I mean, for example, ExxonMobil, they are conscious that they're selling gas for four and a half dollars a gallon. I know it's your pain, but we're paying a lot of money here for it. And you know, that, that's conscious. I mean, you know, in, in, in the absolute terms. You know, then there's the other consciousness where, you know, like Zappos or, or, or the guys, uh, Tom's Shoes, where we're, for every pair of shoes we sell, we're going to give some shoes to some, you know, to people who need them. And that's a, a kind of another variation of consciousness. You're conscious of what's needed in the world. So really, it's, I'd say I think awareness goes with this. You're aware of the impact you have. You're aware of, of more aware of what you're doing. And that's what we build like into our employee policy manual. We say please and thank you in 150 places. You won't find an employee policy manual that does that because you're trying to treat the employees with some respect. And where any people, other people, well, you work for me, you do what I want. You know, it's kind of a, an unconscious way of managing people, I think. But I think, you know, back to my, the Rumi quote, really, a lot of consciousness is simply you're pursuing something, but you haven't removed the blocks that you have built in within yourself against it. And to find out that, like, for example, my save the best until last, I keep beating that to death because it, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's one of those things you can imagine how debilitating something as innocuous as that may seem, but the effect that it has. And so I, I see people do all kinds of things in their business. And for example, there's people who think of profit and profit is evil because it's stealing. You know, I'm, I'm making money on this. And, you know, you've heard things from your parents about how those evil rich people are. And again, that's unconsciousness because you're not looking at another facet of, you know, people who are wealthy have leverage, I say, you know, I say in my book, you leverage your ability to help a lot of people. There you, if go. you can economically leverage your ability to help a lot of people. Like for example, my business plan template. I could write business plans one at a time for people and charge five to ten thousand dollars to do it. Or you could pay me $27 a month and do it yourself with a tool that and you really need to do it yourself because you need to learn about your business. You need to be, learn to express your business to your investors and to your employees and to your customers and to your vendors and everybody that it touches, you know, you, you as the CEO of your business are the spiritual leader of your company. So you need to be conscious of the impact you and your company and everything you're doing have. It's conscious that there's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving parts really, but it's really about digging down into yourself and being aware of your thinking and, and the impact that you have. And so there's another example I think of. So it's Starbucks. There's a really great book that Howard Schultz wrote called pour your heart into it. And the real takeaway that just blew my mind in its simplicity, you know, he says at some point in the book about page 110, I think it was, he says, if you're going to work at Starbucks, if you're going to be a manager, a senior executive, an investor, I don't care who you are, but if you're at Starbucks, you must have a passion for coffee and the coffee experience. Now think about that for a second. If you don't have a passion for coffee and the coffee experience, why would you be at Starbucks? You, can you imagine the chief financial officer who doesn't drink coffee there? <laughs> He'd be saying, well, why are we buying these really good beans from these places where the good beans come from when we could be buying the cheap beans from the cheap bean sources and we can save a bunch of money? 
well, if they don't have, if they have a passion for coffee and the coffee experience, they're going to be like, I want the good beans and we're spending the money for it. That's just the cost of doing business. And so that piece of insight is a part of consciousness that Starbucks has about how they hire people. And so about so your culture and your values, and you know, what are you what are you a proponent of? What is important? Well, look at what happened to Uber. Uber got in trouble. They didn't really have any values and practices in place. They were just like a wrecking ball, just do do whatever, make money, and that got them in trouble. Got the CEO canned, and that's really not my idea of of an exit strategy <laughs> that, that I want for myself. And I certainly don't want that for my customers. I want you to have a a positive exit strategy so you can be like Tony Shea of Zappos. You sell a thing to Amazon, you make a bunch of money, you live happily ever after, you go down in history as famous and doing a good thing. That's the holy grail, I think, really. You do something great in the world. And so, and so part of that really is, is understanding like what's a nice, I ask it like this, what's a nice person like you doing in a business like this? And that's where I gave you, you know, what we call it Toastmasters, my little icebreaker speech on what like dots that I connect, what steps that I take that led me here so that it makes sense. I'm just not some guy who was standing in the shower one day. So I had this great idea, but there was nothing behind it. There's a lot behind it, but there's a lot of aspects of different kinds of consciousness in business. Yeah. Cause I, I had a coaching call just a little bit before our call here today for this interview. And the lady I was speaking with, we were talking about how she wants to make a difference in the world. She wants to be able to see the difference and I said, what you have to do is you have to define what is important. What are you reaching for? You have to have an end goal in mind. And what, it, what is the, if you could you know, wave the magic wand and anything could happen, what would that look like? That gives you the direction and the purpose. And then your values will drive the action steps you take as you reach towards that goal. And I think that really falls right in line with building a conscious business because it's not just the Uber model of whatever brings in money. It's the Starbucks model of, hey, I want to develop a company that has a passion for coffee. And, and I agree with Starbucks is the best coffee in the world. I, I drink it all the time. <laughs> Spend too much money on Starbucks. But, you know, the thing is, is they do have a passion for coffee. At least they, they are known for that. I don't know that every single employee does. I know that that's the CEO's vision for the company. And they've grown very fast. I think that's also a challenge when you grow fast is can you bring people on board that share your vision, that share your values? And I, I think that really has to be developed carefully. And I'm curious, I know we're talking to solopreneurs here, but there's probably going to be entrepreneurs and others listening here that have larger sized businesses. What advice would you have for a, a CEO or, or a business founder that says, I, you know, I want to promote these values for my company, how do you stay on track? I mean, it's really easy as you grow, you bring in a lot of people, if you grow fast, how do you maintain the right value set in your company and, and not lose that? Yeah, that's important because, you know, as the company grows, you've got to, you've got to change, you know, it, you start out doing everything yourself, then you hire a person and then they do some of the stuff and then you hire another person and they do some more of the stuff. And pretty soon you're, you, where you started out is, I think like the artist, if you will, now you're, now you're a manager. That's a good question. But what the thing I want to get to that, you know, in this is the thing to consider really. I talk about the story between there's a missionary and there's a mercenary. And the missionary, this is oftentimes we a lot of us start out with, I'm gonna save the world. I've got this great thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop hunger. I'm gonna stop cancer. I'm gonna all this stuff. It's gonna be all this great stuff. And just give me the money. I'll I'm gonna go do it. The problem with that is that kind of person gives 
investors the willies because they don't know how to run a business. They'll spend all the money. They don't think it through. They're just going to run off and do it. The good news is that person will go down with a ship if, if it sinks. They will stay with it no matter what because they've got this thing there that they're, they're like a dog with a bone. They're not going to let go of it, which is good because perseverance is the number one thing in, in entrepreneurial success is you've got to stay with it. If you don't stay with it, all is lost. There's that bit. So that's what's good about a missionary. But the business aspect, not so much. Now, the flip side is the mercenary. The mercenary is a hired gun. They will do anything for money. And they're probably good at the, what investors like about them is they're business people. They'll, they'll manage the money. They'll be successful with the money and all that. Problem is, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You've got to give the tin man a heart and you've got to give the straw man a brain. And I'm looking to give both these people both things. So whether you're a missionary, you learn a little mercenary. When you're a mercenary, you get some missionary. Because the mercenary really needs to realize, you know, People, the investors want to know, like, what's a nice guy like you doing in a business like this? What, what, makes, what makes you different? Why should I come to you versus someone else? And I like to do business with a person who's, who's living, eating, sleeping, breathing it. Like, you know, Yvonne Chouinard at, at Patagonia. This guy hangs on cliffs using his own handmade pitons at one point. You're going to buy his mountain climbing gear because he himself hangs on the mountain on his own stuff. And you think, you know, I'm going to trust that guy more than I'm going to trust someone who's just doing it for the money because they're going to cut corners and other kinds of things. And so the, the mercenary needs to develop the, the heart part of the business. And I advocate with the business plan how, to, how the missionary can become more business-like and how the mercenary can become more purpose-oriented. And that way you really have the best of both worlds because that, that's what investors want to see. If you can blend those things in your business, that will make a world of difference. I would agree with that. And it's funny because when we first started talking about having an interview, one of the things that I told Burke right up front, I was like, you know, I'm a little concerned about woo-woo. And what you're talking about is, to me, it's not woo-woo at all. To me, it just makes a lot of business sense. And it makes a lot of human sense, common sense, but, you know, maybe a little uncommon. And that is, you have to have a heart for people and relationships and you're doing the right thing. And that's what your business ought to be doing. What are your value and how do you promote those values to your business? And you can absolutely have a profit center that fulfills uh, dreams and goals in your life and the lives of your employees, if you ever have employees, and definitely for your customers, by serving them well. There's no wrong to making a good income by serving others. It's, it's a value exchange. And as long as you're providing good value with a foundation of good values, I believe that's always going to be a winning combination. So to me, this is very much in line with what I agree with. And I'm, I'm glad that you kind of defined that for us because I've never heard it stated the way you've said that. But you, you actually stated that in your book as well, the that's business black belt, right? Yes. And I just want to point out to our listeners, you can get a free copy of Burke's book. Uh, he offers it free to you on his website. And I encourage you to go and grab it. It's right there on his website, businesspowertools.com. I uh, just do the down arrow by the blog and you can just get a copy of the book and read it. Yeah. I tell a, a number of stories in there. It's, it's full of, it's like, it's, it's like 70 or so chapters. Each one's maybe anywhere from two to five pages and it, it makes a point. It's, I could, I could write a whole book on each point, but I think, it, you know, you'll, you'll get it. You don't need to have all the research and all this stuff behind it. You just, they're, they're pretty straightforward and I think fairly obvious. And so, it, you know, for example, I think of, 
one of the things I, I talk about, you know, profits, the evil, ooh, you know, but, and I even talk about the idea of closing a deal, our language, our language is very, we, we've become very negative in our language. You know, you think about closing a deal, you're really not closing a deal. That's, you ask any salesperson, when you make the sale, that's really when the work starts, you know, because yeah. now the customer bought the thing and now, oh, oh now, we, now we got work to do. You didn't close and a deal, you opened a relationship. Pretty exactly. So it's really not, it's like, it's opening a deal or is it what you're doing? You know, it's right. like you're opening a bank account, you know, <laughs> you're opening the thing. And, and I think about the whole idea of overcoming objections. You know, we talk about, I can't tell you how many sales trainings I've been to about overcoming objections. And if you find the customer who's got the need and you give a good presentation at the end of, and use positive language throughout the presentation, and when I say positive language, let me cut to an aside for a second because I, I do have a little video on my webpage that, on my blog that talks about this. But for example, if you're in a sales presentation, you say, you won't be disappointed. We won't let you down. Uh, there's a 60-day money-back guarantee in case you don't like it. Look no further. What did I just do? And here's the example. Don't think of an elephant. Okay, now that I said don't think of an elephant, you've got an elephant front and center. We have an elephant in the room. If I say don't worry... Guess what? We got worry in the room. I won't let you down. We got let you down in the room. If I say, you know, look no further, maybe I should look further. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so now you wonder when it comes to handling objections, you've got a herd of elephants and you've done it to yourself. And that's the, that's the, 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 the crazy thing about this. So really thinking I, I can go on this like a whole other hour long subject I could get into. Because I get into a whole bunch of stuff. Like someone's pointing a gun at you. I'll just give you this one because this is a, a, could be a real life situation that you don't want to face. But nevertheless, there's somebody pointing a gun at you. And what do they say in Hollywood? Don't shoot. Really? <laughs> don't think of an elephant. <laughs> so, you know, you might want to say, uh, point that somewhere else. Put that down a second. And my favorite is, you haven't asked me where the money is yet. <laughs> oh, wait, there's money? I'm not going to shoot you. So, you know, you want to be careful what you say to people because even if you're using a negative, you know, don't before it, that word is still now in the space. Like, don't think of an elephant. The elephant is still there no matter what you do. And so that's, that, 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 that takes it in practice. It, our, it's so pervasive in our culture. It's just amazing. And so you'll hear it yourself. We think with that. We try to have a positive mental attitude like, oh, no. And then you hear things like you learn from your mistakes. There's truth to that because mistakes are expensive, embarrassing, humiliating, a bummer, all that stuff. But I would advocate start looking at learning from your successes because more often than not, I find we'll have a success and it's like a relief. Like, oh, oh good. It worked. Keep going. But we don't stop to look at a success like we look at our failures because you could do a whole post-mortem on a failure and go, what, what did we do wrong? And what I find is that there are an infinite number of ways to make mistakes, infinite number of ways not to do something. There are an infinite number of things I don't want. However, when it comes down to a, a success or what I do want, it's probably a handful of things. And so in the success, we might look and say, well, okay, what do we do differently? What was there? What wasn't there? What did we add? What did we remove? Who did we bring in? Who did we leave out? And you're thinking, okay, what worked here? Because something worked, let's repeat that. And so I find when people talk about learning from your mistakes, well, where's the part about learning from your success? And I think you'll go a lot further if you learn from your successes. And like, for example, with my experience selling word processors, 
when I learned to sell a word processor at all levels of the company, I wrote a business plan that addressed different perspectives at all levels and areas of the company. That just worked. And so keep doing what works. And that's, uh, I think that's a, another area of consciousness that's often overlooked. And that's a terrific tip. I, I know you hear about fail fast and learn from your failures and all this stuff. But yeah, learn from success. That, I've never heard it said so succinctly. And that, that's worth the price of admission right here for the whole podcast show right there. That one tip, if you just learn from your success instead of just focusing on overcoming failure. Yeah, we're going to mess up. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to have failures. But that's part of the growth process. But when you study how you had a success or even a partial success and what went right, that's going to help you that much faster. And I, I love that tip. That is one of the best tips I've had on the show. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but this is one of those things that what I do in my so-called consciousness practice, if you will, and I've been, I took my first workshop in 1980. So it's, it's been a few years, but I hear things. I listen to things. I listen to myself. I'm like, whoa, what just happened there? And how do I, you know, re, rethink that, for example? That's one of them, you know, really is, is that. And the other, the other one is thinking in terms of what you want in terms of not what you don't want. I mean, listen to that. You, you, not what I don't want. Why would I put a double negative in there when I can simply start with what I do want? Like, for example, there's, I want a new car. Pick something simple. And I walk on the car lot. The salesman says, hi, how can I, what, can I, what kind of car do you want? He goes, well, I don't want a white car. Okay. I don't want a truck. All right. We're still standing. There's nowhere to go yet. You know, I don't want this. I don't want air conditioning. Well, yeah, I do. But, I, I, but if you can walk in and say, I want a white Ford F-150 pickup truck with the biggest engine you've got. Now we got, now we got a place to start, you know? Yeah. And so, so to, and this is, this, this is important in goal setting. This is important in really in, in everything, in being creative is what do you want? And there's a book by Robert Fritz called The Path of Least Resistance. I highly recommend reading that because it blows away a lot of the workshop stuff that I did, in fact. But he talks about you've got to figure out what you want. And once you have that, now you're on a path to having it. And so in goal setting, this whole smart goal thing has got some serious flaws in it. I mean, I believe that it should be specific, measurable. But the next thing where they say achievable, achievable is now, now you're limiting what you can do and you're looking in the rearview mirror. So it should be specific, measurable action oriented. What can we do? And so you're not limiting yourself by what you think is achievable because what I think is achievable and what you think is achievable could be two entirely different things. I can bring a helicopter to the party and you didn't think of that yet. So if all of a sudden I've got a helicopter, oh, we can achieve a whole bunch of different things than you thought was possible because I'm not thinking in the same box you're thinking in. So you want to think about what's action oriented and the R would be results oriented, not realistic. So achievable and realistic are the two places where the smart goal thing falls off, uh, to me, goes off the track badly. And so it should be specific, measurable, action-oriented, results-oriented, and then time-bound. I like that. I'm going to have to add that right to the actual show notes, specifically and explicitly, because I like that, that redefinition of the smart goals. Now, I've used them many a times over the years. I've promoted them over the years. I like that because you can take action, and I think that's always a, a positive part of goal setting is what specific thing can I do? What action step can I take that will help me achieve what that goal is? That's the whole point of a smart goal. And, I, and that's also a perfect segue into, as we wrap up our conversation, we have to get going here pretty soon, but I, 
you said, you know, you have to know what you want. And so I'm curious, though, what do you want next? I mean, you've, you've built a, a very successful business with business power tools, and you've become a proponent of conscious uh, business building. What's next on your radar? What's, what's coming up? I've taken all of our software apps and templates that we've built over the years and have built it into an online collaborative secure dashboard where you can just click on the business plan, open it up and write a business plan. You can click on the employee manual and write an employee manual. It's all these tools that businesses need, especially startups. You know, like what happened to last year's startup? Last year's startup has taken off and now it needs to get their house in order in, in a number of ways to go to the next level. And that's really where the, the tools really come into play. It's great for startups. Unfortunately, I think many startups don't realize what they don't know. They might not appreciate what these tools will do for them, but a lot of, certainly the consultants do. And so like you back to your solopreneurs, the solopreneur could have some expertise of their own. Like maybe they're a marketing expert or sales expert or financial expert. And now they can expand their capacity to offer a whole wide range of, of offers and tools to their clients. So what's next for me, I'm, lo- I'm looking for those people. I'm looking for those solopreneurs who want to be consultants for other businesses who would use our dashboard. And, you know, you could chart in. The beautiful thing is it's recurring income for the solopreneur because you can sign up a client. The subscription is anywhere in our case from $27 to $97 a month for everything. And you could turn around and charge your client two, three thousand, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month to use these tools, implement the tools, consult with the client, bring this dashboard to the party. And the good news for you is that you've got a consistent interface that all your clients, the, all your clients all get something unique in effect. Because when you, when you work on you and you write, you fill in the blanks and you, and you work on it, it becomes totally unique for them. But for you, the, the consultant and the expert, you know where, in the, where the management team section is in the business plan. It's always in the same place. It's in the right place. And then the client just goes along with it because that's what you're doing. So for the consultant, you've got a consistent tool. You can manage hundreds of clients on the same system and do all this stuff for them and really build a significant, I think, consulting business, expanding or extrapolating on your own skills and bolting on a whole bunch more that maybe you didn't have before. But you, now you have a bigger offering. It makes you competitive to everybody else out there that, you know, that's, that's offering consulting services. I think that's really the, the immediate next step for us is to find more people who want to expand their, their business and use, a, use the dashboard like business power tools for that. Yeah, that's great. And obviously, you know, you have 30 years of experience with these tools and, and refining them and making sure, you know, th- this is not something that's brand new. This is something that's been honed over decades of use. Yeah. And so those who use them know they're very powerful tools. I, mean, I, I remember buying, oh my goodness, which one was it? I think it was a marketing, no, 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 the, no it was a biz plan builder I bought. It must be like 20 years ago. And as I said, I remember software. I didn't remember templates. That was before my time with that part of my business. But yeah, you know, this, this is definitely something that if you are a consultant to companies, um, I would encourage you, look at businesspowertools.com and, and get an idea if this might be something that would be a good fit for you to service your clients or, or simply just to get a better handle on your own business. And I would encourage you to take a look at that. There's plenty of information on, on Burke's website, so take a look at it. And definitely while you're there, like I said, don't forget to you know, do that drop down by the blog and grab a copy of Business Black Belt uh, and read that. And of course, there's the blog there. And, and I, I see you got a podcast too. I actually didn't realize you were a podcaster. You still, is well, that active? I, I did kind of a radio show a couple of years ago. This is kind of before all of the podcast craze. I have about 80 shows in the can that are 
they're all you can listen to them. They're all interviews, kind of like this with different people. And I ask different questions, and they're tell give me ideas and all kinds of things, from intellectual property attorneys to you know communication consultants to all kinds of people. And I would say, just I heard you say, you said, don't forget to get the book. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So Make sure but, but, you but go just, there just, and click just, that button. <laughs> yeah, just for, just, for the, just for the fun of it, think about this. How does it feel? Just feel in your body a second. Say, don't forget, okay? And now think, remember. There can, you go. Can you feel kind of an energetic shift? It's that very thing, but you know, I'm not I'm busting, your, busting your chops. No, I'm glad you did. Saying. I'm glad you brought it up because that's what people would like me do. We, we well, simply it's, it's habitual. Habits. It's habitual. We've been doing it for, for I've, I'm 63. I've been doing this for 63 years, you know, and to un unravel that and stop it and go in a new, you kind of take it a new direction. It's, it's just going to take some practice. It's easy enough to do, but to catch yourself in the process of it, uh, it makes, it does make a world of difference. Burke, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for, for joining me today and for sharing your, your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, Solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. You can find the show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 027. If you want to learn more about effective business planning, be sure to watch the recordings of Unbeatable Business Planning Training Session with Burke. Those recordings, along with the recordings of every live training session since we launched the community in March, are free to all members. Plus, members get a huge discount on Burke's complete business power tool software suite. Use the special link you'll find next to his training session recordings to save over half off. And if you're not a member yet, be sure to get a 30-day free trial today by checking out as a new member and entering coupon code SS30FREE during your checkout. Just click the orange Have a Coupon Code link on the checkout form and enter it there. You'll find that discount code and membership link on the show notes page at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 027. Thank you for listening.